29 AD, there was one about to change the world. Fully man, fully God, Jesus. Next to him was a friend who witnessed everything. He saw early miracles. He sat at his right hand. His own eyes saw Jesus transfigured. The very heart of Christ was poured out to him, and he was there at the cross on the day history was altered. These are the words and the story of John. So Nigel came in late uh, to the class tonight, and he came and sat down and said, well, I would have been here on time, but there was a guy laying in the street, so I stopped to help him. Yeah, and where's Leo? Yeah, seriously. Well done, Nigel. Yeah, where's Leo? Where's Leo? So Leo is the first time he came tonight. We, we, we just met Leo tonight, and Leo looked at Nigel and said, so you, you kind of decided to play instead of practice. That's pretty cool, right? So I just thought that was pretty cool that, that Nigel said, instead of going to Bible study, I'll do Bible study, right? Like instead of practicing, I'm actually going to play the game here out here on the street. With a risk of it's dark, there's another car stopped, I don't know what's going on here, I could be getting into a, into a storm, but I'm going to jump in anyway because I just sense God leading me in that direction. So well done, Nigel. That was a great job. Awesome. Thank you for doing that. Really, really cool. So if anyone else has a little moment like that you want to share, just start maybe next week if you got something you want to run up here right before we get started and just share something that, that's moving you where you're saying, man, the lesson moved me. It like moved me to action. It caused me to do something different. I think it's encouraging to all of us when we hear those stories and, and what, how they're affecting you. So feel free to run up and tell me. Well, guys, we've got uh, Ken Johnson is a member of our class, and some of you guys have him in your group, right? Where's the Ken Johnson class? Yeah, there they are, guys. Ken, are you here? Where's Ken? He is. There he is. There's Ken. Ken's in, our, Ken's in our class, you guys. He came to my house last week, and we hung out for a while. And I've got this large photo of the Colts team praying after their 2006 Super Bowl went up on my wall. In fact, we had put them in all our plants above every time clock, and we would tell a story about this to all our employees about where the trophy was and who was in the center of that circle. So when Ken saw that picture, he said, hey, Bill, I'm in that picture. And I'm like, what? And he said, yeah, get up there and look close. So we got up there, him and I are looking in there, and he goes, that's me right there. And it was. He was right there. And he said, I'm actually leading that prayer. Holy cow, you guys, Ken Johnson was leading that prayer. You know why? Because he was the chaplain for the Indianapolis Colts at that time. Isn't that the coolest thing? And in fact, Ken had been the chaplain at the Indianapolis Colts for a long time. And what he said to me is he had never been in the coach's office until Tony Dungy came to the Colts. And when Tony Dungy took over as the head coach, he got Ken in and he said, Ken, the spiritual authority of this team is now under your guidance. You're our spiritual leader. I lived in Chicago at that time when that was happening, and I was a Bears fan. I always believed that we lost that Super Bowl because our all-pro nose tackle was injured and couldn't play in that game. And after Ken explained a number of miracles that happened that year, it became clear to me God was working in the lives of those men and women and those families. An unsung hero of the 2006 Super Bowl was Ken Johnson because Ken was allowed to play his role and point Colts players, coaches, and wives to Jesus through Bible study, prayer session, and one-on-one -on -one mentoring. They were bound together and fueled by the Holy Spirit to take that year on in a way they had never played football before, you guys. Over 2,000 years ago, God created a man named John and assigned him the task to call thousands of Jews to repent of their sins 
and to be baptized. John the baptizer prepared them to be ready when Jesus came to earth. And because John did his job, thousands accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. John was the unsung hero who lived out his assignment, making a pathway for all of us to be saved. So my prayer tonight is that you'll have that same passion to live out the role God created for you to play in preparing the world for the second coming of Jesus. And I'm praying your passion is going to be accelerated tonight as you leave this place. Let's pray and get ourselves ready to hear the Lord speak. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, Lord. Thank you for your precious son, Jesus. Thank you for John the baptizer leading the way for us, Jesus. Lord, help us hear you speak now. And Lord, help it move us to action. Help us be men that just don't hear we actually do, Lord. Father, don't let me get in the way of your voice in any way, Jesus. Bless this time now, Lord. And once again, I pray that all those cell phones will be broken for the next 20 minutes. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, the priests and the Levites interrogated John. By baptizing Jews, John was attracting large crowds. The Judean Jews were extremely skeptical. John was a threat. They were protecting their control and challenged anyone that threatened their authority. Ezekiel the prophet foretold about one who would baptize with water as a sign of the Messiah. So they asked, John, are you the Messiah? And John said, I'm not the Messiah. In verse 21, they asked if he was Elijah. Again, they were thinking about the prophet Malachi, who said Elijah would return and precede the the Messiah. And because Elijah was taken up to heaven without dying, this would be a logical question. Again, John said, I'm not Elijah. In verse 21, they asked if he was the prophet. They had Deuteronomy 18 in their mind as they thought about Moses saying, a prophet would precede the Messiah. And again, John said, I'm not the prophet. John was very popular. Many people were following him. John denied being the Messiah, Elijah, or the prophet, and he denied the stage that he certainly could have taken. John knew who he was and who he was not. And he never tried to be who he was not. There are many times I try to be somebody I'm not supposed to be. Two weeks ago, I was really needing help with running a couple's Bible study they lead on Wednesday nights in my home. And I was struggling with what the people might think if I asked for help. I honestly thought in my own head that people would see me as a lazy, retired guy if I asked for help. When I sent out an email asking people who were open to changing up the Bible study, several people read between the lines of what I was saying and called me. And said, Bill, do you need help? And I said, yeah, I need help. And when we met last week, my good friend Chris led the way and divided up the work and got everybody excited about helping me out. And I was so relieved because I was really overwhelmed, you guys. But what I realized is trying to be the guy who can do everything is wrong. God never works alone, and neither should you. How often are you overworking because you're trying to prove yourself to somebody around you. In verse 22 through 23, John tells them who he is. He quotes Isaiah 40, says, I'm the voice of one calling in the desert, preparing the way for the Lord. John knew the hearts of the people were spiritual deserts. He knew his job was to get their hearts ready for Jesus. In verses 24 through 28, they asked why he was baptizing. 
While baptism was common among Jews, it had been trivialized as another thing to follow, another law to, to put a feather in your cap. But it was often viewed as something for the unclean Gentiles. We didn't really need that. John was connecting his baptisms to the preparation for Jews to receive the Messiah. It was not just some ceremonial cleansing. Their lives were full of sin. They didn't love or obey God, and he could see it. Their culture was a spiritual desert, and so was ours, you guys. People are thirsty for the truth, and you know it. You could see it all around you. Many people's hearts in our culture right now, in your neighborhoods, have never drank spiritual water of any kind. Our country desperately needs men to share the truth of Jesus. But I know it's hard. It's really hard for me. I stumble in this place a lot of times. My first inclination oftentimes is to try to explain the blessings, how good God's been to me. And you start describing how good, and you know what you look like? An arrogant, self-righteous jerk. Or I drown people in Bible verses, right? I'll start saying, well, you know, God said this, and let me show you the Romans road thing. And, and they're like, you're just a spiritual overload, man. Like, you're just a quoting machine. And it also sounds arrogant. Those have failed for me many times, and I've tried. People look at them oftentimes when I go down that road, and they say, your life doesn't match your words. Like, what you're describing, I see the brokenness in you. You kind of look like a hypocrite because you say and do things that don't match that stuff. And that is the way things happen for me a lot of times that just don't match, and I do look like a hypocrite. Do you have that experience too? But what I have found that works is when I share things about how broken I am with people. I talk about what's not working in my life and how I've gotten help for that. People relate to that. I remember inviting an employee to a company-wide fellowship, and he said to me, why would I come? I see you do some pretty stupid things. I was the owner and the CEO at that point. <laughs> and I answered, you know, that's exactly why I follow Jesus. I need help to stop behaving that way. Jesus has helped me see my failures. And what's changed is I actually have a desire to change. He ended up coming to that event. And he ended up coming to every single one after that. And he actually brought his wife who worked in the company. And they never went to church, but they came to those fellowships how can your broken life be the testimony that leads people to Jesus? In verse 29, John the baptizer says, look, the Lamb of God. John recognized Jesus as the Messiah. In Luke 1, we're told that John was filled with the Spirit before his birth. I wonder what that was like for his mom. <laughs> can you imagine? We also read his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Zechariah was a priest and taught John the prophecies, and he prepared him for those works. Isn't that what a good dad does? Teaches his kids the word, leads them. That's good. Because John knew God's word and was filled with the Holy Spirit, John was able to immediately identify Jesus as the Lamb. And when John said, Behold the Lamb of God, he was pointing to Exodus and Genesis, where lambs had a vital purpose. In Exodus, thousands of Passover lambs had to die to protect the Jews from the angel of death. In Genesis, God provided Abraham a lamb to sacrifice in place of his son Isaac. John helped people know the Messiah had arrived. Just like he did with John, God fills his followers with his spirit, and he gives us the Bible so we will know Jesus when he comes back the second time. Guys, we're waiting for him to come back. 
Don't forget that. And in Matthew 24, Jesus says, this is what it's like before I come back. Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. And now listen to this. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. How will you help you and your family learn the Bible so that you are filled with the Holy Spirit and you are well prepared to recognize the fakes and the phonies and you're ready to know and see the real Jesus when he arrives and so you don't fall away from the faith? In verses 32 through 34, John testified he saw the Holy Spirit rest upon Jesus. Because of that event, John was certain Jesus was the Messiah. The Bible says Jesus was filled with the Spirit from that day forward. The union of Jesus and the Holy Spirit marked the beginning of his public ministry. And the Bible will frequently describe Jesus as being filled with the Spirit when he does these miracles. One of the great mysteries we live with as Christians is that Holy Trinity. God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One way to think of the Trinity is the three roles God plays, like roles you play as a husband, a father, and a son. There are volumes written about this union. I've read so much, and it's really good, and you should too. It's good to read about the Trinity. It's good to read about the, 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 uh, this concept. It's challenging, though, guys. It's a mystery. It's very difficult to understand. I suggest, though, rather than get caught up in your mind, try to fully understand the Trinity by simply observing how each person of the Trinity is revealed in this Gospel of John over this year. Just watch them in action and observe how they work together to transform darkness into life just as they did when they initiated creation. God chose you as an instrument of his transformative work as well. When you believed in Jesus, he deposited his Holy Spirit in you. He is now waiting for you to move into action. When you read God's word and you hear him call you to action and then you step out, the Holy Spirit starts to rise up in you to do miraculous works through you. And especially when you start to proclaim the name of Jesus, the Holy Spirit always points back to Jesus. He proclaims his name. But you'll see these miracles start to happen in you. Things like controlling your anger, forgiving people you've hated your whole life, feeding hungry people you used to look down on, or healing emotionally broken men that you used to completely ignore. While you may not think those are miracles, they are indeed, because you never would have been able to do those on your own. You are hearing God's word tonight, and you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you right now. How will you respond to the Holy Spirit pushing you now to go do something you feel very uncomfortable doing? In verses 35 through 39, John the baptizer leads his followers to Jesus. John, the author of this gospel, and Andrew were disciples of John the baptizer. They grew up on the Sea of Galilee fishing. But note where they are. 
They're in the desert east of the Jordan with John. They're not on the lake fishing. They're out searching for God. They trusted John and believed his testimony. And John pointed those men to Jesus as soon as he saw them. They asked Jesus where he was staying, and Jesus said, come and see. Guys, the best way for men to follow Jesus is to bring them with you. Come and see. Invite them into your life and let them see Jesus living in the real you, in your real place, in your real home, with the real people you interact with. Did you notice, too, that Jesus picked fishermen as his first disciples? I love that part of the story. Fishermen knew how to connect with everyday people. They're all over the community. They just knew a lot of people, and they knew how to connect. People liked them, and they liked people. And they didn't hide behind their religious culture. It just wasn't what they did. God's calling men like us, like you and me, to reach people at work, in schools, in sports, in events, and in our neighborhoods. That's where we're called to be, you guys. Out there, like the fishermen. We relate to people. People relate to us. That's where we're called to be. When I was about 25 years old, I met a guy named Terry, and Terry invited me to go with him everywhere he went before I became a believer. We loved sports, so we played a lot of sports together. I loved those days with him. You know, I felt like I had a friend who cared about me because we just did a lot of stuff together. And I wasn't a believer at that point. He brought me to all the stuff he did, including the Jesus stuff. I didn't do the Jesus stuff first, though, because I grew up in a Catholic church and I could smell Jesus stuff. And I didn't want to be near it. I honestly didn't. That's just the truth. And I'm not saying there's anything bad about the church, the Catholic church. I'm just saying that was my experience and it made me run away from it. But when he started taking me, I went because I liked him and he was my friend and I trusted him. Feeling a connection with another man was really important to me, and it created a pathway in my heart for Jesus. Who has God brought to your mind right now that you'd be willing to invite to join you in your life? In verses 40 through 42, Andrew brings Simon to Jesus, his brother. <laughs> Isn't that cool? He gets to know Jesus, and the first guy says he's going to go get his brother and say, you got to come meet this guy. Jesus immediately sees Simon and says, I'm going to give you a new name. <laughs> How would you like that? You walk up, and he's like, I don't like your name. I think I'll give you a different one. <laughs> Jesus immediately renames Simon to Cephas, or Peter, Petra. Cephas and Peter mean rock. By renaming him, Jesus foretells Peter's destiny. And Jesus then took three years and dramatically changed Peter into the rock. Dwayne Johnson might be the rock in Hollywood, but Peter was the original rock. The man whose faith and boldness were the foundation of the first church, that's Peter. That's the rock. You know, I never gave much attention to names until recently. When my son Taylor mentioned he might want to name his son after me, That has captured my mind. It's so important for me and my family. It's important to me that my family's proud of my name. I certainly couldn't say that I have been. But I want them to be so they can tell their kids. So my grandchildren can say, I know my grandfather loves Jesus. I want my name to be William because I want to love Jesus like Grandpa does. That really matters to me. 
when people speak your name, what do they think? In verses 43 through 49, Philip and Nathanael were chosen. Jesus found Philip. We're not told how. Whatever the case, Jesus said, follow me, and he did. He was ready. He just needed to be asked. You may not know who is ready, but Jesus does. You just need to get them close so he can ask them. Who comes to your mind that you should ask to come to church or heart of a man or to join you for a meal so you can get him near Jesus? Philip brought Nathaniel, who grew up in Cana. Philip told his friend he found the Messiah. He was from Nazareth. And Nathaniel looked at him, and he knew Micah 5, too, that said the Messiah was from Bethlehem. So he thought, hmm, Nazareth's controlled by the Judean Jews. I don't like this guy. Nathaniel was very skeptical that Jesus was the Messiah. And Philip just said, come see for yourself, man. Jesus compliments Nathaniel, and he in turn questions Jesus. It's going to be a strange interaction when we see that one replayed. Jesus said, Nathaniel, I saw you under a fig tree. And whatever Jesus saw or heard under that fig tree was impossible to know because Nathaniel was alone. Jesus reveals what Nathaniel was thinking or doing under that fig tree, which showed Nathaniel he had the power of God. And Nathaniel was overwhelmed. He calls Jesus Rabbi, Son of God, King of Israel. Hear this, you guys. Jesus knows you that well, too. He does. Every single part of your heart, he can see it, and he knows it, and it matters to him. Psalm 44 says, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of your heart. It's incredibly liberating to be free from what you are keeping hidden in your heart. James said, confess your sins to one another so you can be healed. I meet with a CEO group every month. We're getting ready to meet this week. And one of our check-in questions is, what do you need to confess? And boy, you're tempted to lie on that question. But I never do, and I always tell them the thoughts I've had that month. And I'll tell you what, guys, it's so incredibly liberating to be able to talk to some brothers and say, I can't believe I got to tell you this, but this was the, went through my mind this month. And I'm ashamed, and I just don't want it to be there anymore. Can you guys pray for me? And to have four, five, six guys go, man, we love you. We forgive you. And yes, we'll pray for you. And then they do. What's in your heart that needs Jesus right now? In verses 50 through 51, Jesus tells Nathaniel he will see him connect heaven and earth. Angels will be coming and going under his control. Jesus also describes himself as the Son of Man for the first time. And this is a reference to Daniel 7. It's a powerful Jewish prophecy that is a direct reference to the Messiah, and they know it. This unique dialogue was meant to help Nathaniel to believe Jesus connects to every man in a unique way when a man pursues him. He does, you guys. In Jeremiah 29, God said, If you seek me with your whole heart and with your mind and your soul, you will find me. And that's what happened to Nathaniel. He was seeking truth. 
and he found Jesus. Jesus met Nathanael at his doubts with firm proof because he knew Nathanael was seeking the truth. Many people have serious doubts about Jesus. Many have been hurt by Christians. Many have seen unexpected suffering. And these make people hate God. They're mad at Jesus. I could tell you guys this. In our heart groups, we explore those intense doubts and emotions of men who are willing to share what's going on. You just have to be willing to share and let some other, man, other men join with you. And it will change your life. What serious doubts, pain, or anger do you have right now that you need to allow Jesus to address through some other men? Let me close with these thoughts. Some time ago, an 18-year-old girl from Washington State attended a worship service. It was the first time in her life she heard a gospel sermon. The following Tuesday, the pastor of the church received a letter from her. It said this, Dear Pastor, Last Sunday, I attended your church, and I heard you preach. In your sermon, you said that all men have sinned and rebelled against God, and because of their rebellion and disobedience, they all face eternal damnation and separation from God. But then you also said God loved mankind and sent his son Jesus into the world to redeem people from their sins, and that all those who believe in him would go to heaven and live with God eternally. Both of my parents recently died suddenly and unexpectedly. It's been haunting me that they did not believe in Jesus Christ, whom you call the Savior of the world. If what you preach is true, they are damned. So I'm supposed to believe that either the message is true, or that you yourself don't believe this message, or that you didn't care enough to tell our family? We live three blocks from your church, and no one told us. You people are hypocrites. Men, who in your life will find out about Jesus and confront your hypocrisy for not telling them what you know? Just like John the baptizer, God chose you and gave you meaningful work as an unsung hero to simply bring people to Jesus. You don't have to do anything except make the introduction. Jesus will handle the rest. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you, Lord. Lord, don't let us be those men. We want to be like John, Lord. Help us just, hey... Just tell people, point them to you, Lord. Help us just get them near you any way we can and let you take over, Lord. Help us be that kind of men. Lord, help us leave tonight with somebody heavy on our mind and our heart that we want to reach and call and connect with and invite them and be part of their life, Lord, because you know, we know they don't know you, Jesus, and we want to help. Jesus, give us that power and that courage. Inspire us, Lord. Don't let us leave the same tonight. Move us, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Love you guys. Have a great night, all right?